Welcome to Heart of a Shepherd, a podcast from Trinity Lutheran Church in Freistadt, Wisconsin. Now, here's Trinity's Rick Adams, Angela Axtman, and Pastor Carl Leyenbauer. Welcome back, everybody. Rick Adams here, Director of Discipleship at Trinity Lutheran Church in Freistadt. And I'm here in the podcast room again with our senior pastor, Carl Leyenbauer. Hi, Rick. Hi, Angela Axman. Hello, Rick. Hi, it's great to be back here with both of you. And today we find ourselves continuing on in 1 Timothy. We're in chapter 5, and we'll be starting at verse 17. And just before I turn it over to you, Pastor, my my uh, take on this is we, we understand First and Second Timothy are what they call the pastoral epistles. So Paul writing to the young pastor, Timothy, giving him advice and encouragement and exhortation as a young pastor. Yeah, and a little bit of very practical wisdom here, too, in this section. Well, it's <laughs> kind of where I was going, because I feel like even though many in our audience, perhaps all in our audience, are not pastors, there's still a lot here for every Christian head of household. Well, absolutely, yeah. And as we think about that theme, the heart of a shepherd, and learn from from Timothy, what it looks like to take spiritual responsibility for a church that has implications for what it means to take responsibility for my household. And so we'll be able to reflect on some things here, I think, and, and some things we'll just look at and say, um, that was practical advice for Timothy. <laughs> Very direct and personal. So how about I jump in and we start reading? You bet. We're in chapter 5. We're going to start with verse 17 and then go a couple verses into chapter 6 here. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder, except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous. And even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Okay. So we've got... Quite a bit to talk about here. We've got a mention of slaves and what a slave's obligation is to his or her master. We've got instructions on how to um, properly rebuke and do it publicly so that it kind of brings fear or I guess you could say righteous fear into the heart of a congregation or a family. Mm -hmm. So I think our challenge is going to be today to make a, a transition from not just to how this is true of a pastor of a, of a faith community, but to a Christian 
head of a household. Yeah, find those implications for what this means for me right. as, a, as a dad, not just as a pastor, or as a husband, not just as a pastor. Yeah. So, so yeah. But I mean, maybe just to decode things a little bit here. Uh, you mentioned slaves. ESV uses the word bond servants, and so if you're trying to figure out the connection, that's that's what that is. A bond servant is a particular kind of slavery, um, and the ESV is trying to guess what kind of slavery Paul has in mind as he writes this. Uh, but bond servant would be uh, somebody who has uh, maybe a term of of service or a term of slavery. Uh, and and when we hear the word slavery, we think pre-Civil War right. and racially motivated, and none of those connotations are, are here. Um, generally, you could end up as a slave because you were so indebted that you sold yourself in order to pay off your debt. Uh, but most slaves are just captives. So wherever there was a war, they took captives, and you became a slave. And so that that was how you ended up. It wasn't racially motivated or wasn't uh, driven that way. And slaves could become free in the, the Roman Empire. So the fact that Paul can talk about bond servants without just immediately denouncing it is because he's talking about something different than what that we what we see when we right. look at pre-Civil War history. I was reading in one commentary that in the Roman Empire, as much as one-third of the entire population was perhaps either a slave or at one time yeah. a slave. Yeah, I read at 20%. So 20%, similar so, kind of thing. Yep. And you have this situation where, like you said, our mind goes to mid-19th century America when we think of slavery, but in, in many cases it was a, a mutually agreed-upon relationship to pay off a debt, and slaves were given, or bond servants, let's go with that, mm-hmm. freedoms to own land, to vote, to mm-hmm. um, own own property. and Have a family. Your family went with you if you were to, to be sold or something like and that. They, yeah. And they maybe even had bond servants of them of their own yeah and and you'll read in the new testament occasionally you see the word freed men yeah which is people who had been slaves and are now free and so that you know things that you couldn't have hoped for pre-civil war in this country that were that were part of the society so it, i mean it wasn't if you could, like paul says elsewhere if you can earn your freedom do so but if you can't be free don't be troubled by that right it's just the station in life you have right now and a place from which to serve god which is the point here is you can serve god by loving and serving faithfully. And if the the one whom you're serving happens to be a brother in Christ, all the better. You're getting to love and serve someone who's in Christ. It's interesting. He's in, in this letter to Timothy, he's writing things from the standpoint of the servant. And when we get to Ephesians, he kind of approaches it from the other side and has instructions for the master, yeah. the boss. Yeah. And so there... He, this is a two a two way street, yeah. Uh, where there's expectations for both. Well, in relationship with Christ changes everything. Yeah. So no matter where what your station in life is, your relationship with Christ, knowing that you yourself have a master in Christ, changes how you're gonna approach your slaves and servants, and uh, knowing that that you're equal in Christ changes that relationship. And and Paul's concern here seems to be that the the one in the servant role would would lose sight of the fact that he actually still owes service. <laughs> kind of like, you know, if you're working in a job and you, oh, we're both members of the same church. Well, that's great. You still owe your boss your best efforts. Right. And that's kind of the point. Even though you might not care for him personally, <laughs> he good. still, he still, still be owed your respect and your hard work. Yeah. Well, and so it's also, I like the reminder to us about behavior that, we are we're representing Christ 
we're representing our faith. And like you said, especially in a situation where you don't care too much for your boss or your master, whoever it is, other people will watch that relationship, especially maybe people who know you well and know that you don't like that boss. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're going to they're going to be comparing the fact that you say you're a Christian to how you're handling this situation where you're kind of disgruntled. Or, sure. And so you're always, you're always representing your Lord. And, and it's, this is one of the more extreme situations that, that Paul can point to where you really don't have a whole lot of choice in this matter, right? You're, you're, this is what's been dealt to you. And so as we think heart of a shepherd, maybe the implication goes to, uh, your family, and and there's parts of that where you have no real choice about the crazy uncle or who mom and dad are, and in some cases, even within marriage, there can be a different challenge to to love and to respect the way that Jesus calls us to. And so, the principle here that I can be loving and serving God by loving and serving a human being can you can apply in those moments where it's hardest to love and to serve. But this is where I am. This is where I'm called it to be. And since this is where God put me, I'm going to love and I'm going to serve. And uh, I guess the marriage part of that is in my head, but, you know, for better, for worse, rich or poor, sick or sickness and in health, in all those circumstances, it's still an opportunity to love and serve God by loving and serving uh, another human being that he's, he's given me to love and to serve. To Angela's point about how sometimes people make up their minds about Christianity based on our conduct, how we treat our bosses, how we speak about them. And I... I think, too, about the the little ones that are in our Christian households. They're hearing conversations that are taking place between mom and dad about maybe mom's boss or dad's boss. And if we can be exhibiting for those that next generation, this is what godly respect looks like for an employer, uh, even when that employer might not always be yeah. doing things the way you wish he or she would be doing them. Mm-hmm. And that's maybe a great jumping off point to go back to the beginning of this text where it talks about the elders who, who are worthy of double honor. Mm-hmm. And the word elder is is one of the terms that Paul will use primarily for people in a pastor kind of a role. And you know, they're, that's pretty specific what pastor means for us, for Paul and for Timothy. It's a little more flexible because it's house churches and, and such. Um, an elder probably didn't go to seminary, that kind of a thing. Uh, but what you're describing, you know, what, what our kids are picking up because they're overhearing the way we're talking about work is also true. What are they picking up was as they overhear the way we talk about our church and the servants in the church and the fellow members of the church and the, the leaders in our church, uh, that all has a lot of, a lot of implications. And so Paul here says, um, well, to get the picture, Timothy is, is kind of the Bishop. He's the overseer over all the elders, right? So each house church has its elders and then Timothy gets to parachute in for a little while. And Paul is saying, well, while you're parachuted in, encourage these members to look at the one who's sacrificing in order to provide them with, with good scriptural preaching and teaching and honor that individual. Mm-hmm. And uh, even go so far as to maybe even pay that individual, which is what he's getting at with the do not muzzle an ox and the laborer deserves his wages, uh, which is you know, most of these guys probably started as volunteers. They just took on the role because somebody needed it and they they felt the calling and saw saw somebody saw some gifts in them and uh so paul says you might even think about paying some of their bills or dropping off a dozen eggs 
so they can take care of their families because they're sacrificing time to serve the church. Could you read again from the ESV uh, verse 19? Because I've got a different translation in front of me, and I want to hear again how you said 19 and 20. Sure. Uh, Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As those who persist in sin, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. Right. I, I feel like in carrying out Christian discipline, you know, this is consistent with what Jesus says in, in Matthew, right? Matthew 18. Mm-hmm. And we all we get it in the Old Testament too. I think Moses had written, had written it in Deuteronomy mm-hmm. about things have to be brought about by more than just one person. Um, and I think Paul also probably wrote from experience that you're never going to be able to please everyone. So there's going to be times when matters, conflict is going to happen in the church and matters have to be decided in a God-pleasing way. And I think that's what we're seeing here in these verses. Yeah. Yeah, certainly the evidence of two or three witnesses is a protection against an abuse or somebody who just has an ax to grind against an elder. And uh, we already read through the, the qualifications to be an elder or an overseer. And so we know these are people who are carefully chosen. They have a good reputation and they have some character. And so Paul is, is saying, yeah, don't waste your time and, and don't um, encourage, I guess, bad behavior by just taking an accusation unless you're hearing it from multiple sources. And then you, need, then you do need to take it seriously because that elder is in a position of great influence in the church. Uh, but personality conflicts and everything else just as real in the church as they are anywhere else. Right. Yeah. And again, as I read this and I'm thinking about heads of household, you know, I think in the church... Leaders make mistakes. Leaders are sinners just like everybody else. And there may be um, unfortunate times when this type of action that is outlined here in these two verses has to be brought about within a Christian church setting. But I think within a family, what I'm learning from this is that there are times when mom and dad need to also be very transparent to, to their children about their failings and occasionally perhaps apologize, repent mm-hmm. of you know a short temper on a given day or a, a lack of judgment um, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I, again, I see a transfer here to Christian households. Yeah, I think that's a good observation and just underscore how important it is. Uh, kids don't need an example of somebody who <laughs> pretends to be perfect. <laughs> they need an example of somebody who's a lost and condemned sinner who's been redeemed by Jesus Christ and lives in the grace of God. And so you want your home to be a place of grace, and, and that also means admitting you need grace and then sharing it with others. And one of the best things we can teach kids is this is how you repent. Mm-hmm. Right, how you say I'm sorry yeah. and admit that even before maybe somebody asks you, you know, there's been lots of times where I've thought you know back a couple hours prior to how i what i said or how i behaved and i've gone back to them and said you know what i don't it wasn't great (laughs) i shouldn't have done it that way and yeah i'm sorry and that's a that's a way more important lesson for a kid to learn how to do that than um than like you said thinking you can try to be perfect always yeah Right. Kids are kids are imitators. We talked about that in the sermon a couple of weeks ago. And well, I guess we all are. But the 
Uh, do you want them to imitate a stubborn refusal to admit that you're wrong? Or do you want them to imitate a soft heart that quickly says, I'm sorry? And uh, you, you can set that example for them. Yeah. Well, and that's really great for any Christian relationship, especially if you're going to have health yeah. within your your congregation, you know, to one another that you can be honest about your, your feelings or where you may have misspoke or mistread. And, um, that's super, just super good for growth as well. And trust between people. Yeah. In verse 21, in the version that I have in front of me, come across something I had never seen before. It could be that I just, I just missed it, but it's a, it, this translation has it, I charge you in the sight of God in Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing without of favoritism. What do you think of that? Elect angels? Yeah. <laughs> that phrase? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's a way to say not all angels are... Yeah. I, oh, okay. So equal? Like, <laughs> yeah, well, some, some angels have fallen, right? Right. So, so you have these would be angels. the holy angels that yeah. that uh, yeah. stayed with God. But that word elect, you know, you hear that and you think election of humans. You don't think yeah. about elect angels. But yeah. I, I don't know. It does, it does make me <laughs> think a little bit. I guess God would have known the fall of the angels was coming, just like he knew the fall of man. And is that all part of his divine foreknowledge, which when we... Uh, Turn the page a few weeks in a few weeks to or another I guess another week a couple of podcasts to Ephesians we'll get right into predestination and have a great time oh with boy. that yes so um, I guess that some of that can apply to angels too but but I think the point in that verse is about keeping instructions without partiality which is something that is true within the politics of the church yeah. and also in the Christian household parents are sometimes guilty of showing partiality. And prejudging. That's the other half of that in, in the ESV, yeah. at least. Mm-hmm. That we can come assuming that we already know without... And, and that all comes out of that verse 20 with uh, rebuke them in the presence of all so the rest may stand in fear, which that that idea of, well, I guess the whole verse, those who persist in sin, yeah. right? That sin that I didn't just fall into it, but I'm persisting in it. That sin needs to be rebuked. And... And Paul is saying, and it, it actually needs to be rebuked publicly so that the whole church knows it's not, we're not, the church is not suddenly okay with this. Uh, and so um, that, and that's a role that you step into with great fear and trepidation, whether it's in the church or it's in your household. But you, you do have a calling. If you're going to say, I'm going to take some spiritual responsibility for the people under this roof, it does include confronting especially those sins that we're getting comfortable in you know you don't need to when the tears are running down your face because you're sorry that's not a time to confront but there's a when you when you pay attention to this you can almost see a hardness of heart that humans are very good at developing you can see it and that's the thing that we need to address because it's destructive ultimately eternally if left unchecked so we try to check it when it's small do you think this is something that there's an intimacy that existed in the early church that would have made something like this more possible, possible yeah. Than, yeah. than it exists in a thousand plus member congregation. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. There, there's, it, it, and this is, for me as a pastor, this is just really convicting because there's, there's just no way to try to, to even come close to carrying that out mm-hmm. as, as the shepherd of 
a thousand people, um, which is part of part of the reason for the emphasis on shepherd in every home, because there are you you do have brothers and sisters in Christ that you can be walking with, and a church our size needs to have those relationships be really robust and take on some of the character of shepherding. And so hopefully as we learn to shepherd in our own homes, we're also going to learn to shepherd a little bit across homes. And it's a little bit of a different art, but it ex- it's important. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I've heard uh, people say a congregation should never get bigger than 200. Yeah. Because that's about the limit of what one person can actually shepherd. Yeah. And so if you're going to, if you're going to assume that you have to have <laughs> a guy with an MDiv and a reverend before his name having those conversations, that's probably true. MDiv for our listeners. Masters of Divinity. That's the degree that pastors get when they leave seminary. Yeah. yeah. What about the, um, the verse 22, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands? Because mm-hmm. um, when I think of laying on of hands, I'm thinking prayer. And I would think, why would you not <laughs> Don't want to... rush into prayer. <laughs> exactly. That's kind of... What, what are they... What's going on there? Ordination. That's that's the ordination, the laying on of hands oh. of, of, of saying this person is now an elder oh. or pastor. That's, like an anointing. Yeah. So if you if you um, have ever been to an ordination, the the key moment in that rite is all the pastors who are present gather around and we all lay hands on the person who's being ordained and and so they they are made a pastor through this laying on of hands. And so Paul is saying, don't quickly. Oh, okay hand that off make sure that this is the person who has those qualifications that he laid out earlier in the book and so don't be hasty in that yeah it's a great great question i think our synod probably does a pretty good job of obeying this verse because it takes eight years to be a pastor (laughs) i mean it's a a rather robust and rigorous process right and so we're, we're anything but hasty yeah no we're not hasty it does take a long time yeah if you already have your bachelor's you can do it in four (laughs) <laughs> but I, I like also, again, applying to Christian households um, where he says, uh, do not share in the sins of others. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is um, an admonition for all Christians. Keep yourselves pure. I think there's a quote here in this commentary that I've been looking at that says, we are responsible not only for what we ourselves do, but for what we condone in others. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of a, an indicting statement for me because mm-hmm. I, I tend to want to focus on what I'm doing and not doing, but what am I okay with in other people's lives? Yeah, yeah, it's very well. You become hyper aware of it when you when you do get the reverend in front of your name, because yeah. all of a sudden, whatever somebody does in front of you, you sort of feel like you're obligated to jump in and say something. Yeah. Like uh, a real common one is, uh, I hear people take the Lord's name in vain in front of me. And I feel obligated to say something, you know. I don't. I don't necessarily want to jump down their throat with God's commandments every time I hear that. But they need to know it's not okay. Verse twenty-three has, I think, the the verse that a lot of people like to quote as permission <laughs> to to drink. And I I think that there probably deserves a little explanation there because who knows what the purity of the water was like in first century Ephesus. Maybe wine was just the healthier thing to be drinking. Yeah, yeah I, I, my archaeological study Bible had note on, on this verse that uh, actually wine would, just because as a normal drink, it would be watered down generally. Mm-hmm. You'd have maybe one part wine to one or two parts water. So it's not like it's necessarily just pour out the Chardonnay. Mm-hmm. But um, it's 
it also has a purification right. element, right? There's alcohol in the wine, and so the water itself is purified uh, by that. So, so, so Timothy is getting sick a lot, and Paul's giving him some advice. Have a little wine. Yeah. As we get to the end of chapter five, and um, we just um, look at these, there's a little bit of an admonition there um, about again in the version I'm reading, the sins of some men are obvious reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not cannot be hidden. Um, we tend to cover up sins of hypocrisy, but we know that eventually it's going to get exposed, either in this life or on the day of judgment. And I think that's probably why it's a good thing to confess freely so that you're not feeling embarrassed by what you are, um, what you might be front confronted with. Yeah, I think that's a really good uh, thing to have in mind, especially again, households. And uh, so it, there's a real temptation to sort of pretend that our household has it all together. Like that, you know, there's kind of a stereotypical, we've got our Sunday morning look, and then we get in the car and it all just falls apart. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, but the, the sins that we, choose to hide rather than to deal with, they do show themselves, but they, they might show themselves in the next generation. It might be further down the line that that starts to come to the surface. And in the same, same way, Paul points out, you know, also good works. Sometimes you don't know what good has been going on until later. And that's, you've made that comment a number of times about funeral sermons. You find out how great people are <laughs> at their funeral. Yeah. And, and yeah. Um, it's, 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 there's truth in that. But I guess the, the point of that is, um, as shepherd of my house, let's deal with it. Let's not hide it. Let's not just pretend, but let's deal with it. And if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves anyway. Yeah. Swallow that pride yeah. and come clean. Yeah. And if you need help doing that, God has put a pastor somewhere close to you, yes. right? God has put somebody there who knows how to, to deal with sin and to take that to the cross and to walk away in grace and forgiveness and new life. We We just kind of bled a little bit into chapter six in this podcast where it does talk about the yoke of slavery um, those who are under the yoke of slavery or bond service but we touched upon that earlier in this mm -hmm. podcast so we're kind of like coming to the we're coming to the end of our time and we're coming to the end of our reading for this day uh pastor or angela do you have any other words to wrap things up I think if I were to try to, to draw kind of the central focus out of this these verses, I would say it's it's deal with sin. It's just deal with sin in yourself, deal with sin in, in your community. Obviously, deal with it in uh, uh, appropriate ways. The, the word gentle comes to mind. Paul uses that elsewhere. But it, whether it's ignoring it or uh, even worse, hiding, which is kind of harboring it, um, that that is always gonna do damage. And to just be careful, especially those the last two verses, to just be careful in your quote-unquote judgment of others mm -hmm. on both the sinning side and the good work side, that none of us see what's mm -hmm. underneath anybody or, yeah. you know, behind. That's only God yeah. knows those things. And so the, you know, earlier on with the elders, the um, to say bring uh, that two people 
listen to the accusations of two people, not just one, mm -hmm. that um, our own individual judgments in and of themselves <laughs> are, are just opinions and yeah. not necessarily based on fact. Right. Yep. And so uh, I guess it's on my conscience to not leave it on the, the, the deal with sin comment, but also to just go to the, the grace, right? We can deal with sin because we come without any possibility of being turned away when we come to God with our sin. We know we're going to be loved, forgiven, accepted, still his children. And so uh, we can very boldly admit our sin because then we're going to be able to receive God's grace and his forgiveness in a very personal and powerful way. So that is the best place to leave this podcast. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. We will see you back here again in the podcast room in a couple of days. Until then, may God bless your day and your week ahead.